Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailtalk90. My usual co-host is Jade, but unfortunately they're not going to be able to join us this time. We're making our way through the books one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Uh, thankfully, I am not talking to you by myself today. Uh, we have a guest! Welcome, Dirk! Hi, I'm Dirk. Uh, you can find me on the Hope's Hearth podcast, Hope's Hearth is an actual play sci-fantasy podcast about a luxury space commune created by alien refugees. You can find us at Hope's Hearth Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. And you can find me on the Hope's Hearth Twitter or at PF underscore Diva, depending on the rating of the post. I put the horny stuff on PF underscore Diva. So... Welcome, Dirk. Uh, what uh, what brings you here? Um, <laughs> besides the fact that I I asked you. <laughs> uh, so uh, well, animorphs. Um, uh huh. So here's the thing. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't have friends. I had books, mm-hmm. and uh. From about the age of, like, six or seven to about 13, I was hyper-focused on those scholastic books that they just pumped out, like, every month. Mm-hmm. I started with the Baby uh, Sitters Club, I did Goosebumps, and I did Animorphs. And um I misremembered a lot of stuff and combined a lot of stuff in my head, uh-huh. but I really liked it. And then recently, uh, a couple years back, I actually did try to reread it because everybody was talking about it. And the usual response is, why the hell did my parents let me read this? Which mm-hmm. cracks me up. But um, I did start to try to get into it. And um, Marco's mom's stuff really got to me. And, like, I've mentioned this to you off mic, Danielle, but, like... Mm-hmm. My my mother passed away when I was um eighteen, mm-hmm. and um so like I really related to Marco's just emotions about his mom being gone and about wanting to talk to her again, mm-hmm. and it was just it was just way too painful, and uh then you started doing this podcast. And I didn't listen for a long time because I thought I would have had to read the books to listen to it. And then I realized that I didn't have to read the books. I could just listen to you guys talk about the episodes in great detail. So I did that. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, I'm glad to have uh, brought you some Animorphs content that you can consume safely. I appreciate you very much. Well, relatively safely. (laughs) all right uh so uh the book we're reading today is number 17 the underground um some book specific content warnings before we get into it uh are attempted suicide uh sanism just so much 
so much so Satanism. Much of it. So uh, much. Uh, particularly shaming and belittling of the mentally ill, making jokes on their uh, behalf. Well, not their behalf. What is the word? Um, to their detriment, I think. Thank you, yeah. Um, and it, it's bad. Um, it's so bad. It's I have real, so many opinions. It is real. Yeah. Like, this is uh, not the first and only time we have seen uh this pop up and i would like to think that had ka written this in like modern times they would have dialed it back um yeah. but satanism is also one of those things that uh it really flies under the radar a lot of times mm-hmm. um and it it's not as obvious an issue as say sexism or something like that uh and so I don't I don't know if that would be the case, especially considering uh just how pervasive like insulting someone mm-hmm. by saying they're crazy is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh yeah, there's a lot of that in this book. There's a lot of that in Animorphs in general. Um, you know, both both the kind of flippant like this plan is totally insane kind and also the like oh let's go to the loony bin kind um uh and also a lot of claustrophobia in this book because uh, as the name of the book might suggest they diggin they doing a lot of digging (laughs) so uh and and it's not uh pleasant um, and this is actually one of the first times, but it's not the last time that we see uh, Rachel's claustrophobia, like, in action. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, we'll, we'll see it again later when she has to go, like, underwater. Um, uh, but it, it's, it's an interesting kind of through line for f- fear for her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, this book is ridiculous. This is, uh, the oatmeal book, y'all. <laughs> yeah, this is the oatmeal book. I forgot it was this sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we, we made it into very much of a joke on Dumb Kids, uh, mostly because of <laughs> Riley and Sasha. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it is, it is a hard concept to take seriously. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, it is given uh, passingly in-depth uh, uh, kind of argument between the kids as to whether or not to use it because it is a, uh, I guess you could call it a biochemical agent. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of is. Like, it functions the same for, well, not like, just like a biochemical agent, but I, I think for uh, them, uh, oatmeal is kind of like cocaine, except cocaine can't replace your brain stem. It just yeah. gradually destroys it. Yeah, that fucking line. Jesus. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. that. That's just... Listen, like, there are some things, like microchips and sharks' brains, you, you just gotta... <laughs> you just gotta go with it. <laughs> 
Exactly. <sighs> exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dive in to this book. Uh, so we start the book off. Um, the kids got out early, uh, from school because of a teacher conference or something, teacher work day, whatever. Um, and Marco and Rachel are actually conspiring to use their morphing powers. Um, you know, kind of, this is cut through as we are getting our traditional introduction to Yerks yeah. and the Yerk invasion. Um, and, well, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I, I took so many notes. <laughs> no, stop me at any time. Yeah. Uh, well, like at the beginning, like, uh, like on page one, the way Rachel describes, uh, the Yerk invasion, what Yerks can do to you, mm-hmm. it's just like, the most terrifying way you could possibly put that description. <laughs> and it's like yeah. absolutely correct, but like yep. also. Yep. They enter through your ear. They can squeeze and flatten themselves out to fit into very small spaces. They enter your ear and then your brain. They squeeze and ooze down into all the little gullies and ridges and folds of your brain. And then they interface with your brain. They control you. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I also had uh, a minor bitch because once again the taxons get like the shaft. Yep. They really do so much. And like I, I, I have like I wrote my notes uh, for the listeners. I wrote my notes in a different place because I am just a criminal. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like someone wants to uh, like there is a point I was at a real bad place in my life. And someone accused me of being willing to sell her out for a sandwich. And, Mm. like, on the one hand, I don't particularly like her. But, like, also, she was absolutely right. She is still (laughs) right. I'm doing very well in my life right now. She is still right. It'd have to be a much better sandwich than it would have been back then. (laughs) But, like, I have experienced food insecurity and, like... If I had been at one of those points in my life and some random being said, uh, let me take over your brain. You will never be hungry again. Like, I don't know that I would have said no. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. The taxons, uh, never really get a redemption. They, we get a, a slight possible nod to one late. But they never really get an adem- redemption. They're always described as they are here, vile, evil worms that did it voluntarily. Yeah. And it's like, mm, okay, mm-hmm. okay, K. <laughs> yeah. No, I was actually having a discussion about uh, the Magnus Archives, and I don't know mm. if you listen to it. I know Jake oh, does. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But like, uh, we were discussing some thought, some things that like. Johnny just sort of never covered, like, hunger, like that food insecurity hunger. Mm-hmm. And also, we were like, there has to be a fear about somebody standing too close to you and touching you when you don't want them to be touching you. I feel like that's corruption. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but you know what I'm talking about, though, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing that it's like, you know, if you haven't been through it, you just sort of don't include it. And so yeah. I think, I think K.A. probably came from, you know, like a, probably a decently privileged background and couldn't like connect with the thought that like food 
and having it or not having it could be so important to somebody. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I've read some of their, their descriptions of their like early life before they started Animorphs really. Uh, and like, they definitely weren't well off. Uh, mm -hmm. they were, you know, taking odd jobs that they could and scrounging for, for scraps and things, essentially. Um, I know Michael was, was a felon, was homeless for a little while, mm -hmm. uh, before he met Catherine, um, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the two of them, I mean, they did, they did a lot of ghostwriting themselves before they, they started Animorphs. Um, mm -hmm. and then Animorphs took off and they, they, they did well. It's actually one thing that I, I do like about them is that they aren't, they aren't those stuffy ones who are like, oh yes, write for the art or like whatever. <laughs> They're like, no, write to get rich, get money. <laughs> money is great. <laughs> Nobody tells you how great money is. It's true. <laughs> um, so it, it, I don't know that it's fair to say that they never experienced food insecurity, but they definitely do not handle writing about it well. Um, yeah. Well, so. I don't know. Maybe they just needed to have a bad guy or wanted to have like a, a real bad guy who was, you know, yeah. not Visser 3 and Visser 1 who. Mm -hmm are comical and sympathetic respectively so yeah yeah you wanted they, they probably wanted uh you want to show the spectrum of like hosts right because mm -hmm. you have humans which can be both which can be voluntary or involuntary and you have the hork mm -hmm. who are all involuntary and then you have the taxons mm -hmm. they also came up with the taxons as like a play on taxes like, oh. haha, the taxes uh, take all of your stuff and blah, 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 blah. Um, so that it's like, it was like a joke mm -hmm. that they just, and they never realized that they had actually made something really sympathetic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, mm. They continue to get the short end of the stick. They will continue forever to get the short end of the stick. The taxons mm -hmm. are never given their due. It's a, it's it's a crime, frankly. Yeah. So now that we've uh, completely derailed the conversation, <laughs> but yeah, our our kids are walking in the woods. Um, they're just kind of enjoying the day, um, and Marco and Rachel are trying to convince Jake that they really ought to go to this uh opening event for the local planet Hollywood um because uh you know cultural relevance for acts like it's super important that acts learn who all of these celebrities are and definitely not because these two want to see these celebrities up close <laughs> Mm -hmm. And there's a moment where, like, Marco does an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger because asks, 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 who is Arnold Schwarzenegger? And Marco just says this, Arnold, who is Arnold? And then never explains anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Continuing the trend of not actually explaining anything to Axe, who has to learn everything by 
like osmosis, I guess. Um, right. Uh, we get the traditional kind of introduction to everybody on the team uh, through Rachel's perspective. Um, I like the detail uh, about how Rachel views like telling Jake about this plan and like asking him, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, but it was tricky, see, because we knew Jake, my cousin, and Sor, our sort of leader, might get all tense and righteous on us. Not that he's that way at all. He isn't. But he's very responsible. Someone has to be, and it sure isn't me. Still, if he decided to go along with this basically silly idea, we'd do it. If he decided to be against it, we might not do it. Or else Marco and I would do it and not tell Jake. <laughs> the trick was to present it the right way. And, like, everybody has done this with their parents, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, I just need to present this in the correct way, and then they'll say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Marco. When I was eight, I showed my mom a kitten that the mm-hmm. kid down the street, his cat had had kittens. Mm-hmm. And, like, I told my brother, if my mom sees, if our mother sees this cat, we will have this cat. He did not believe <laughs> me. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Marco is totally over the top. Uh, <laughs> you see, Jake, you see how totally pathetically ignorant Axe is when it comes to really important human cultural stuff? Good grief. It makes you want to cry. He knows nothing. Nothing. He's been on Earth for months, and yet he has experienced... Has he experienced any really important human culture? No, it's a travesty, a crime, a pity, a shame. It's a... Oh, shut up already. (laughs) Jake interrupted. (laughs) And like... (laughs) And Jake knows... Like, he knows what's going on here. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's, he's like, you know, we can't... Guys, we can't do this. And then Marco pulls out his fucking trump card. And he says, oh, but uh, Shaq's going to be there. You know Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal. That Shaq. <laughs> and Jake's like, oh, well, I guess we got to go. <laughs> Swayed by Shaq. Yep. Yep. Uh, so we cut to the Planet Hollywood and the, like, outdoor concert that's apparently being held. Um, and they're all just birds of prey in the air above them. Just like watching everything as birds of prey, which is really a very low risk kind of, uh, thing. I don't know why Jake would have been put off by this. Like, just go flying. <laughs> well, yeah, but also, like, again, uh, Jade yelling in the background, he's 13. Mm-hmm. And like, it feels really dicey, uh, because like, when you're 13, you think everybody's paying attention to you. Mm. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I do. Tobias continues to be fucking just the worst about other birds. We look like a raptor convention. I mean, why not throw in a golden eagle and a few kestrels? If there are any bird watchers down there, they must be freaking. And Rachel rightly says, no one's watching us. They're watching Shaq jam with Bruce Willis and John Goodman. And God, if that isn't a blast from the past. <laughs> These books are very 90s. <laughs> I had, like, genuinely forgotten there was a point in his career where Bruce Willis did music. And, um, <laughs> I could have continued forgetting that. That would have been great. <laughs> uh, Lucy Lawless is also here, uh, which Rachel pretends not to be excited about. Um, 
Be- but Lucy Lawless is a good excuse for everything. It's it's true. Uh, Lucy Lawless, for those who are uninformed, is Xena. Um, so is the uh, namesake for Marco's nickname for Rachel, mm-hmm. uh, Warrior mm-hmm. Princess. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that kind of keeps coming up a little bit in this book, like here and there that I really don't like for Rachel um, are, are things like this. For a moment, I considered teaching Marco a lesson. He was an osprey morph. Ospreys are big birds, but they might as well be chickens alongside a bald eagle. It would be so easy to go into a stoop, shoot past him, flare up beneath him, and make him tumble. Nah, wouldn't be right. And it's like, these brief moments of dickishness? Really? Um... That, again, go beyond, as as Jade has pointed out on multiple occasions, go beyond just, like, their usual banter and go into, like, Rachel just being mean? You know, I don't know. Like, from my perspective, like, it's a very natural impulse to want to, like, trip up somebody who's, you know, making fun of you, even if you know it's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. And, like, she doesn't do it. She just thinks about it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, like I kind of see where you're coming from, but I just took that as, uh, yeah, Marco's being annoying and she wants to tumble him over because she can. And then she's like, no, yeah. this is not right and I will not do it. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know why it's written, like something about the way that it's written, like mm-hmm. makes it feel off to me. Because like the way that you describe it, I'm like, oh yeah, of course, that makes total sense. Um mm-hmm. And maybe it's just because there are a couple of small instances like that in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Something yeah. something to keep an eye on, I guess, as we go through. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, but everything is going fine. They're just enjoying the, the, sh- the show. Um, and then Rachel sees with her bald eagle eyes that can see through the glass of the nearby skyscrapers. Uh... She sees a man in an otherwise empty office on the next to highest floor, 60 floors up. Um, and for some reason he catches her eye and she circles back around and then realizes why he caught her eye. And it's because, um, and this is where the attempted suicide comes in. Um, he picks up the, uh, a chair, like a metal frame chair, throws it through the window, um, and then jumps out of the window. And I would like to take a... Oh, sorry. Uh, I just want to take a moment to backtrack uh, Mm -hmm. to something that, like, I didn't super think about when I first read through. But, like, those windows are, A, not made of glass. And, well, maybe they are, but it's, like, tempered glass. It's something Mm -hmm. that is super tough. You would need, like, a gun to get through it. Mm. And this guy got through it with, like a metal chair and like i know this is microchips and sharks but (laughs) (laughs) i just have to point that out for our listeners if you throw a big chair at a window in a building that's 60 feet up what you're gonna do is get hit by a chair bouncing off a window (laughs) good point um so (sighs) They don't know what to do because they're birds 
and the the guy is falling. Um, and Rachel has the totally hair bla- hairbrained idea of, oh, but there's six of us. We'll just all catch him. And th- that's it. That that's the extent of her plan. <laughs> um. So she dives for him, grabs, uh, his collar, um, and his shoulder, and then the others also glom onto him, um, and open their wings to help slow his fall. Uh, spoiler alert: it doesn't really slow his fall at all. Um, but Tobias is. Uh, actually a good flyer and he's like alright if we're gonna do this really dumb thing we're at least going to do it smart like uh, don't try to flap you're not going to be able to lift him just try to guide him towards the nearby water um, mm-hmm. you know make, make him fall in a direction as opposed to straight down mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the, the dude is screaming obviously uh and uh it it is it is chaotic to say the least um but they're able to line up their wings with Tobias um and they just barely make it over the grass um and they release the the man he goes into the water all of the birds kind of snap back and like go tumbling because of the sudden loss of weight. Um, and when they come back around, Rachel is crowing in triumph, but the dude hasn't surfaced yet. He got uh, stuck in the mud on the bottom, <laughs> which is just the worst. Um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Rachel makes the really dumb decision to dive into the water uh, and try to, like, pick him up from underwater. Um, and, like, I say it's a dumb decision because it is, but she also isn't the... 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 bird expert here. Um, Cassie and Marco don't follow her, even though she tells them to. Um, and she well, realizes... Yeah. <laughs> but like she 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 had a very sensible thought. She's like, I'm a water bird, so yeah. I must be able to like get in the water and like how's she supposed to know better? Yep. Uh she, because, you know, eagles are eat fish, um, and so they will regularly dive and snag fish swimming near the surface, but they don't actually dive into the water. They're not like cormorants or ducks or other things like that that will actually swim underwater mm-hmm. um and so her wings get weighted down she can't flap them at all um she calls back to cassie and marco no don't do it actually um and they're like yeah we we done figured that um and cassie's telling rachel to morph uh rachel morphs human and then to dolphin um mm-hmm. and is able to push the man out of the water enough for him to be uh, snagged by uh, someone on the shore and pulled out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it's hard cut to the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, We learned that uh, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger who pulled the person out of the water. (laughs) Um, 
And of course, uh, he is the one to get all of the credit in the newspapers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Rachel is a little bit miffed about this because she did a lot of work to help save this person. Um, but like, honestly, it's for the best yeah. that people didn't notice six birds flying the dolphin. man into the water and then a dolphin, yeah. you know. Although, uh, something, uh, Rachel says, like, before we get to the whole, like, Arnold saved the guy, mm -hmm. is, uh, like, she's just talking down about this guy, like, um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, like, <sighs> I don't know, man. Uh. It, it's bad. Gonna, yeah. It, A, it's bad. And B, it's, it's, like, very unsympathetic. Be yes. Well, like, obviously she doesn't know his situation at this point. Uh, but like, sometimes, like, when you feel like nothing else is in your control, that is one thing that can be. And so, like, obviously I'm still here, but like, I get the impulse. And like, if I was in his position, like, it makes sense to me, honestly. Yeah. So. It's, it is. It's one of those things where, on a cerebral level, I understand the point that she's making. And honestly, mm -hmm. it, in, like, book three, uh, you know, I, the reader is kind of supposed to stand in that space of, like, well, as long as you're alive, there's hope. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, there is some chance of things changing if you're alive. Um mm -hmm. But the way that she says it here, like, it's mixed up with her being annoyed that she's missing the show in order to save this person, which is just terrible tasting. Like, it's so bad. Um, mm -hmm. And then just the way that she puts it, she's like, what is it with people killing themselves? Uh, she calls him a moron for, mm -hmm. to, for not figuring out that staying alive is the better option. And it's like... Do you, well, obviously, Rachel, the character, doesn't understand the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the depths of, of like depression and suicidal impulses. But like, mm -hmm. just to have it written here like that is, for children, is really yeah. bad. And yeah. it, uh, I really don't like it. Um, it's, especially because like, Rachel was much more sympathetic in book three when we were dealing mm -hmm. with this with Tobias. You know, it's she made this point without being an asshole. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's just like, why here is this so gross? Because it's not Tobias this time. And... Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's some person that she doesn't know and it interrupted something else that she was doing. Um, but like we've seen Rachel be better than this. And so it's really frustrating mm -hmm. to see this then. It feels out of character, even though by definition it's not. Yeah, so. death to the author. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, K.A., I love y'all, but uh, uh, you're dead to me. 
Uh, which, you know, they're pretty good about death of the author kind of shit anyway. Like, they're, they're, they're on the right side of that debate where it's like, yeah, we created the thing. It's yours now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we meet up at the food court of the mall. Uh, <laughs> Tobias gets Axe a cinnamon bun, which, uh, Axe promptly tries to eat plate and all by just shoving it all into his mouth at once. It was a little like watching a python trying to swallow a small pig. <laughs> <laughs> Which just cracked me up. Like, oh, Axe, please, you, like, it's, in, you'll enjoy it more if you eat it a bit at a time. But it's Instead a of choking bun. on it. <laughs> like, I, I too have inhaled many a Krispy Kreme donut, the whole donut at once. However, <laughs> <laughs> if you slow down just a little bit it's a better experience than choking on it and also eating the plate the plate doesn't taste as good I mean the plate has like the frosting on it I can understand the impulse Yeah. don't eat the fork the fork is bad for you categorically <laughs> <laughs> but like I love this description of just like the five of them staring at him while he does this yeah because like what the fuck else are you gonna do but stare at somebody like just devouring a fucking cinnamon bun as big as this one appears to be yeah yeah <laughs> um but uh we do get an introduction to the person that uh they saved the the previous day his name is george edelman um Rachel is just totally uninterested in the dude and his story now, um, which I can actually understand is like, okay, yeah, you know, we saved some dude. That's that's nice. Whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And Cassie is like beating on uh, the idea of like, no, like you save this man's life without you and the rest of us. Uh, like he'd have been a, a, a smear on the concrete and. Uh, you are a hero. A human life was saved. He may go on to cure cancer or something, and you don't remember his name? And it it's a little uh, holier than thou? Yeah, it, um, it's a lot. Because, like, uh, even though, like, Rachel was the first one to see him, and she did do a lot of work, like, the rest of them were all also there. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, it mostly it makes me think of like, okay, well, if she was totally invested in this guy and his life now, like being being saved from attempted suicide once doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to do it again. Uh mm. and like so putting all of this weight on Rachel of like you are responsible for this man's life now is a lot to put on a a 13-year-old, even if it's another 13-year-old doing it. Mm -hmm. Um it that it's just like, I, I can feel Rachel when she's like, hey, like, this guy isn't anything to me. I'm not responsible for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, she gets, she gets very defensive about it because she was like, now she seems like the bad guy for not caring, um, or not being, at, at the very least, not being super invested. Like, she was kind of like, oh yeah, that's his name. That's cool. And kind of brushed it off. Um, Marco makes the, weird remark of like if you save a man he becomes your responsibility 
And I would yeah. I would say that it's like uh uh racist, but he also <laughs> he's like, isn't it the Chinese who say, or maybe the Japanese, the Greeks? Someone. I saw it in a movie, which is very Marco. <laughs> um and then Rachel, in being defensive, makes it, it goes too far in the other direction, of course. Uh, because she's like, you know, it was just a goof. I just wanted to see if we could do it. It was a challenge. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a challenge. I, it didn't mean anything to me. And it's like, all right, Rachel, now you're going too far the other direction. Um, um, but they they all kind of <laughs> they're enthralled by Axe attempting to eat the cinnamon bun and the plate all at once. Um and then Jake kind of says, All right, uh well, everyone just keep an eye on the news for a little bit. Um make sure nobody noticed us as part of the rescue effort. Um uh Marco does make the correct if if bad assumption people will figure he's nuts no one is going to listen to a guy who tried to kill himself mm -hmm. um which is correct but very sad uh mm -hmm. and but, but basically marco's saying like we don't need to worry about george edelman saying anything about the birds and the dolphin that rescued him like no one's going to to believe him yeah. one of many uh painful but unfortunately true statements that do crop up in the middle of all the sanism. Yes. Yes. Um we cut to uh three days later, Rachel at her house that is still under construction from when she uh morphed into an elephant as an allergic reaction and crushed her house. <laughs> Um, like, at least her bedroom and the kitchen under it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so it's still under construction, and it's a new, it's a new kitchen. There's a nice detail in here of her, like, turning around and running into the island because it's a totally new layout now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, she's arguing with her little sister, um, who threw out some of her leftovers, um, and Jordan is basically like, I threw it out because it was a week old and I didn't want you to get food poisoning. And Rachel's just arguing to argue. <laughs> yeah. She's just like, you should have asked me, I cried, in no mood to be reasonable. Yeah. It is, it is, uh, in this, in this sense, it is very believable because it's very much a, like, older sibling, younger sibling dynamic. Mm -hmm. I have had arguments like this with my little brother uh where he's like <laughs> he starts off by like doing something maybe slightly not right and then i would just argue with him and then he would take the reasonable stance and you're like well now i have to take the unreasonable stance god damn it <laughs> <laughs> um uh but her mom walks in and is like super tired and is like uh but also excited because she got a really good high profile case um and uh she is actually going to be representing George Edelman uh because his 
family is trying to get him institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that it's uh, talked about here is par for the course, honestly, for this book. Um, mm-hmm. it, to be fair, her mom is trying to be PC. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the important thing that we learn is that uh, George Edelman does isn't just suicidal. Uh, he claims that he has an alien living in his head. And he calls them Yerks or Yorks or something. Uh, and Rachel, of course, immediately her blood runs cold as she realizes, oh shit. Yep. Um, we, we really need to, to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we cut to, again, uh, we cut to the institution, uh, or the, uh, mental health facility, uh, mm-hmm. hospital area, uh, that George Edelman is currently residing at. Um, presumably as a, uh, safety precaution as he recovers, um, and probably as the legal battle happens. Yeah. And at the beginning, there's a moment where, like, Marco and Rachel have, like, a good moment together, Mm because Marco makes a joke. It's not a great joke, but, like, Rachel, it's like, I had to laugh. See, I was about to make the same joke about him. He beat me to it. Yeah. That's that's some of the the good, good uh, Marco-Rachel banter that we have had for the past two books, like, in 15 and 16 especially. Mm-hmm. Where they're just like, it's, it is clearly a game that they're each trying to one up each other and like they give due to each other when someone gets a point, quote unquote, in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good shit. I love it. Yeah. And then the conversation devolves into we're going to put a lampshade on the fact that we shouldn't do it, but also we're still going to keep making this joke. And it's like, yeah. don't, yeah. don't do that either. Put the lampshade on, don't continue making the jokes, or leave the lampshade off and just make your jokes and let yeah. people take what they're going to take from it. Yeah. So. Uh, basically, they're talking about uh, the terminology of nuts, as in uh, nut house and stuff like that. Um, it's not great. Cassie and Tobias are on the thing of like, can we, we maybe should not be? saying that but then they both do it anyway so you know Mm -hmm. whatever uh there there is some good like rachel marco stuff here but Mm -hmm. i wish it wasn't in this context um so i could actually like appreciate them giving each other discreet high fives for like uh burns and stuff like right but it and it, it's just kind of ugh. Yeah. Uh, in the first instance uh, of explaining something to Axe that I can remember for a while, Cassie asks, who else has the willies? And Axe asks, 
what are the willies? Tobias actually explains, you know, vague, creepy feeling. The subtle, unsettling sense that something you can't quite see is desperately wrong. Which is a really and, good exp uh, way to describe the willies. Yeah, and uh, since Jade is here, I would like to, on her on their behalf, add, like, another point in the autistic Tobias headcanon. Because this is a thing I do when people are like, hey, what is this? I will spend, like, 15 minutes typing out a reply that very detailedly explains what the thing is. So... Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love, I love that it seems like Tobias is one of the few who consistently will explain things to Axe. Mm -hmm. um, it does really show some depth to their relationship and the fact that, you know, they spend most of their time together because they don't have anyone else to spend their time with. Um, uh, and they're shorms. Yeah. So, you know. They, they are shorms. Uh. <laughs> Uh, so they move along. They're, they're standing outside of the mental health facility, kind of casing the joint, essentially. Um, and Jake's like, all right, well, easy enough to bust in. Um, but how do we, uh, you know, what, what do we think is the best way to, to do this? Um, mm -hmm. uh, Jake points out correctly that, like, we don't want to hurt anyone. Don't fight anyone. There are innocent people in there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also too far to travel just as an insect. Uh, and then a food delivery truck comes up. Um, and they're like, all right, well, that's that's a golden opportunity if we've ever seen one. Uh, only three of us are going to go. So Jake, Rachel, uh, and Marco all... <laughs> All uh, are decided in the, the away team, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. They do explain to Axe what it means to flip a coin. Yeah, I, I have how... in my... Yeah. Oh, sorry, you go first. <laughs> I was just going to say, I love how it's described here. We flipped a coin, Marco won, then we explained to Axe what it meant to flip a coin. <laughs> yeah, and like, I literally have in my notes, hey, they explained a thing to Axe. <laughs> It yeah. happens so rarely. Yeah, it happens very rarely. Um, and so they find a place, they morph seagulls, uh, and then they're like, all right, well, we got to wait for an opportunity to go into the food truck, and then we'll morph into something and hide in one of the boxes. You know, a decent plan, as far as anything goes. Uh, unfortunately... Mm -hmm. Rachel doesn't wait for a good opportunity. She just goes. Mm -hmm. um, and the others are forced to just kind of follow her. Um, they do land inside the truck near the back wall. Um, and they demorph de uh, and morph uh, cockroach. The cockroach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they morph cockroach. Um, yeah, they morph cockroaches. And... Um, um, I do have to say, I kind of feel bad for whoever these delivery guys are, because yeah. uh, somebody's like, hey, I thought I saw a bird, and one guy's like, you know what, I don't see any birds, and I don't care, I'm on overtime, and my company doesn't pay overtime, Yeah, and it's just like, that's the worst. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, things I would not have gotten as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would just be like, oh, yeah, that... That makes sense. 
<laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, it's crowded, uh, and they morphing cockroach is uh terrible because they all shrink like last. Um, but they all get to con cockroach. It's not that big a deal. Um, and they take cover inside one of the boxes. It happens to be a box of bananas, as we learn later. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, they all just, they all, they crawl into the box. You know, it, it kind of smells sweet, some kind of food. Um, the men are coming back, uh, and they, the, the workers stick the dolly underneath that particular stack that they're in. So they've got a way in. It's great. Um, Rachel says her characteristic, let's do it. And Marco, uh, hangs a lampshade on the fact that, uh, anytime Rachel says, let's do it in that, uh, rock and roll way of hers, disaster can't be far away. Mm -hmm. Um, they land in the box of bananas, uh, and, uh, there's, it's kind of funny, honestly, in the, in the way that, like, coincidence, coincidences in books can be funny. Where they're talking about, like, oh, you know, gross to be on bananas. Uh, and Jake's like, well, you know, Cassie told me you're not supposed to, it, well, it's not the, the insects on the bananas you have to worry about, it's the pesticides. And it's like, oh, well, why is there pesticides? Um, because, you know, they're from Ecuador. That's where they spray the thing. Um, and Rachel's like, I think it's for spiders. Haven't you ever heard sometimes there are tarantulas crawling around bananas? Happens all the time. They come up in the holds of ships and, uh, and Marco's like, excuse? <laughs> what? <laughs> and Rachel's like, oh, come on. What are the odds that there's a tarantula in this particular crate of bananas? Three guesses, dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it is, it is a children's novel and therefore the chance is a hundred percent. <laughs> um uh there's a yeah so there's a big spider um rachel's like all right don't make any sudden movements that'll make it like pounce and they're like uh now you're making jokes at our expense haha ha, very funny and rachel's like nah look behind you uh the boys scream the spider pounces uh everything is chaos yeah, it's it's bad. It's a very scary scene, mm -hmm. and it's just like holy shit. <laughs> yep. Uh, because they they almost get got by this spider. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, for like Rachel, Rachel is caught by it, and it refuses to let go of her. Um, they actually they kind of like end up being knocked off the pile of boxes um, because uh, one of the, the, the people who is moving it realizes that there's a spider in it and, like, throws the box. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a very normal reaction. <laughs> uh, and, like, <laughs> the spider and Rachel go flying because the spider refuses to, to let go of Rachel and they just kind of like hit the ground and 
it, it looks very tense, like Rachel doesn't have a, a chance, and then Tobias, of course, swoops in and gets the spider. Um, and Tobias uh, to the rescue. <laughs> Tobias to the rescue. Um, he makes a joke about it not tasting bad, which I fucking love. <laughs> Uh, I'm in the camp that he probably actually did eat it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, uh, there's a camp that thinks he didn't eat that spider? <laughs> well, the kid, the kids are like, he didn't act, he didn't act, he didn't actually eat it, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, nah, nah, he did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but everyone gets inside. Uh, Marco is bitter, like, what did I tell you about let's do it, huh? Um, and Rachel's being like, I don't see where you suffered. I'm the one missing a leg. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But they, the kids outside who are still in Birds of Prey morph, or who have become Birds of Prey, uh, are have located George Edelman through the windows. They say he's on the second floor in this one room. And so the roaches... Uh, crawl up through the walls into uh, an upstairs bathroom uh, and they demorph. Um, as they're demorphing, uh, or I think it's just Rachel that demorphs. Yeah, it's just Rachel that demorphs. Um, yeah, as Rachel demorphs, uh, another person walks into the bathroom um, and honestly has a very cool reaction to seeing a person that is still part roach. Mm-hmm. Um, a man shuffled in wearing slippers. He headed for the toilet. He hesitated. Slowly, very slowly, he turned. My human mouth was just appearing. My lips grew from melted roach mouth parts. Hi, could you get George Edelman for me? The man nodded. Sure. He started to go, then he turned back. Are you real? Nah, just a figment of your imagination. Ah. I'll get George. And I think this is like one of the very vanishingly few moments in this book where I feel like they actually got something right. Yeah, because like it's it's nicer to just be yeah. like, you are imagining this than to say, no, yeah, I'm actually real and this is happening because like. Yeah. Mm. And I think, too, it there's the sense of like. I haven't had to deal with certain kinds of unreality um, and, like, uh, hallucinations and things of that nature. But what I have heard from other people is that a lot of the times um, they can tell that they are a hallucination. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's just, like, this kind of awareness of, uh, of the fact that, like, yes, there are sometimes things in my life that are just totally unreal. And I have come to accept this fact. And I see that kind of reflected here. Um, and I think it's supposed to be played for a joke, but if I pretend it's not, uh, like, I feel like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> so. I, I kind of, I like that little detail. Surprisingly. Yeah. And then George comes in, and Rachel says, I am helping your lawyer with your case. Yep. In Which, of course, doesn't make outfit. any sense. In her yeah, morphing no. outfit. Without any shoes. He's- <laughs> I love 
so much whenever, like, the kids try to make some sort of story about, like, oh, yeah, we're here for this, that, and the other. And the person kind of looks at them and is like, you don't have shoes on. <laughs> Every <What>? single time. <laughs> why aren't, but, like, why don't you have shoes on? It's one of those things you notice, though. Yeah. Like, I can, I can accept the leotard, but why no shoes? Right. <laughs> Um, but anyway, she gets him talking about, um, why George tried to kill himself. Um, and he says that he didn't have any choice because there is something in his head. Um, and we get the sense in this conversation, uh, that he's saying something that he has told many other people. And also he is extremely aware that nobody believes him. Mm-hmm. Um, because Rachel tries to get more information he says oh well you know it's a yerk he makes a weak smile like he was expecting me to laugh and denounce him as a lunatic um, and she presses him for more information and he hesitates um, he was tired of telling stories no one believed maybe he was on prescription jug- drugs um they, she thinks, oh, you know, they must have loaded him up on tranquilizers. I don't know, man. Um, but so I she have... feels sorry for him. Go for it. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just, I just have two comments. Uh, first off, sometimes prescription drugs help. It's true. So I don't like that implication, like yeah. going along with it, because frankly, sometimes they help. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the second thing, uh, remember how I said there are things that are painful and unfortunately probably true? Like, mm-hmm. it's very possible that he was loaded up on some sort of sedative to keep him, you know, from not doing so much. Yeah. Because I, I don't, it probably most places don't do that, but I have definitely heard that some places do mm-hmm. or would. And it's just yeah. one of those things that's just like, Mm. Stop clock is right every once in a while. Yeah. So. And from a trying to explain the universe uh level, you know, you could say, "Oh, well, he's not he doesn't actually have a mental illness. He has a parasitic alien in his brain, uh and therefore the prescription drugs could be a detriment to him." Mhm. But that's not how it's framed here. It's framed as, oh yeah, prescription drugs are something that they, they give you in psychiatric hospitals. And it's, it's framed as a bad thing, um, along with the tranquilizers. Mm -hmm. Um, but she reassures him that she's not gonna laugh, um, that, uh, you know, she, she, she will, listen to him to what he has to say mm-hmm. and uh convinces him to open up and he says yep yurks are parasitic aliens they enter the brain through the ear canal they take over every function of your conscious mind you know the things that we already know about yurks um mm-hmm. and then he goes into a spasm um he opens and closes his mouth like he can't control it um, his head kind of thrashes from side to side. 
and he starts uh, raving in a language that is not English. Uh, Rachel, actually, I like the detail that she can recognize a little bit of, like, Hork-Bajir and uh, Yurkish and other things um, mm-hmm. in the language. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a moment, uh, he stops and kind of catches his breath. Rachel picks him back up. And he explains that this is a thing that happens sometime. Uh, because the yerk in his head is insane. He's in my head and he won't get out. But he's insane. Um, and uh, Rachel basically tips her hand a little bit and says, How is the yerk staying alive without Kandrona race? Uh, which you know, is something that he didn't tell her, and therefore he rec- he realizes like, oh, this isn't just some person. This must be one of the Andalite bandits. Um, he looks at her with hope and dread and amazement, um, and uh, she presses him, how is it surviving without the Candrona? This is really important. Um, and he says, it's the food. During the famine, after you Andalites destroyed the one Candrona, we found out, they found out, that a certain food could help get them by for a while. But there were problems with it. Um, he has another fit. Um, and uh, eventually gets control of himself again. He says, the yerk breaks through sometimes. What you hear is the raving of a crazy yerk. Uh, and he goes on to explain, they discovered the food by accident. No one guessed what it could do. No one realized it would prove addictive, but it did. Terribly addictive. And over time, the continued ingestion of it began to eliminate the Yerk's need for Candrona rays. At the same time, it drove them crazy. You see, it seems to literally replace some of a Yerk's brainstem. This is uh, a ra- thing I definitely missed as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I did not remember that at all. I was just like, yeah, it makes them crazy. Uh, I, it literally replaced some of their brainstem. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Rachel's very excited because this means there's a food that can destroy Yerks, and that's like, oh my god. Um, and he says it's oatmeal, but only the instant kind, and then only the maple and ginger flavor. Yerks cannot resist the addiction once exposed, and they slowly but surely drive themselves mad. There are dozens of men and women like me in places like this on the streets or worse. Um, Rachel, uh, thanks him and asks if there's anything that she can do for him. And he says, the Yerks will leave me alone. After all, who is going to believe a madman? Uh, I'm sorry I tried to destroy myself. It just all got to be too much. This alien lunatic in my head. My family wanting to keep me locked up in here. Uh, and she asks the clincher question. Isn't there some way to get the Yerk out of your head? No. No, he will live as long as I do. I've never seen sadder eyes. I hope I never see eyes that sad again. I looked away. I just wish the times when I am myself, when I am in control, I wish I didn't have to spend them in here. He looked out through the dirty bathroom window with its heavy wire mesh. Yeah. 
one of those things where you can really like feel the weight of what's happening to this yeah. man, like what his life is going to be like mm-hmm. for no better reason than he happens to be somebody who eats instant maple and ginger oatmeal. Yep. Uh, it's, it, um, it reminds me of hospice care or the antithesis of hospice care, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, just like, all right, well, we know that there's, there is nothing that we, we know that there is nothing this place can do to help me. And so I wish I could be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we cut to, uh, everyone assembled back in Cassie's barn. Um, and everyone is kind of just flabbergasted at the idea that, uh, oatmeal is uh their ultimate weapon um and they're all just kind of like looking at each other like huh mm-hmm. uh and then rachel puts forth uh the idea uh Suddenly, we have a weapon to use on human controllers. A human controller who eats this stuff gets hooked and the yerk in his head goes nuts. What we have to do is find some way to get a lot of this stuff into a lot of controllers. I took a sidelong glance at Cassie. Something told me she was not going to approve of this. But Cassie was bending over a cage, poking her fingers through the wire to check a bandage on an injured badger. To my surprise, it was Tobias who said, You know, something about this doesn't feel totally okay, you know? And Marco uh, jumps up and says, we have kryptonite here. We have something that can make Yerks go nuts. Why is this not a good thing? And Tobias is like, it sounds to me like they get addicted to it, like a drug. Um, and we devolve almost um, understandably, because I remember having uh, a sort of understanding of like drugs similar to these kids, because I was a you know, a, a victim of like dare and like, Oh, don't just don't do drugs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, everyone's like, it's, it's not a drug. It's just oatmeal. It's not illegal or anything. Like it can't be bad. It's just oatmeal. Um, and Tobias is like, you know, a drug is in the eye of the beholder. If you get addicted to the illegal stuff and it messes you up, that's a drug. If you get addicted to oatmeal and it messes you up, that's also a drug. Um, mm-hmm. And Marco butts in and says, like, who cares? They're Yerks. They're the enemy. They attacked us, not the other way around. Like, this is a war. Mm-hmm. And Rachel's argument is still just, it's just oatmeal. Oatmeal is oatmeal. Yep. Um, and, uh... But let's ask for bringing in the question of what about the hosts who are going to have crazy yerks who will not die just in their heads? Yep. Uh, Because that's the part of the equation 
that they haven't been considering up to now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a- Axe is bringing up the uncomfortable part that Rachel is probably willfully ignoring here. That, you know, that sadness that she saw in George Edelman's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she fight, fights back and she says, if we lose the war, we're all going to be without hope. Um, and she says, Axe, I can't believe you of all people would even hesitate. And Axe looks at her and says, we Andalites have been at war longer than you. We understand the temptation to sink to the level of your enemy. We also know that if that you can't win if you are not prepared to be a little ruthless. It's a question of balance. How far into savagery do you go to defeat the savage? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Marco and Rachel are both kind of the only two who are really gung-ho about this. Um, Jake and Cassie are kind of being quiet and standing to the side. Um and Rachel actually turns to Cassie to ask for her opinion, um, because she does value Cassie's opinion. Um, and uh, Cassie sighs, stands up, um, and looks kind of stricken. She says, I don't know anymore, okay? I was confused for a moment, then it hit me. We'd had a bad run-in with a human controller whose yerk was Visser Three's twin brother. The Yerk had found another way to get around the Kendrona. He cannibalized fellow Yerks. Some, sometimes human hosts got in the way. In the heat of the moment, hearing that evil creature speak, Cassie had demanded his destruction. She'd ask, asked Jake to do it. Jake had refused. I don't know why, but it frightened me to think of Cassie not knowing what was right and wrong, or at least thinking she didn't know. Cassie was my best friend. I counted on her to balance me. She was supposed to be sensible when I was reckless. She was supposed to be moral when I was ruthless. But things had gotten more and more confused for all of us, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they're 13? Uh-huh. They are, they are children. And, like, also, that is not something you're supposed to put on somebody. Like, be the sensible one for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's not cool. Yeah. Like And like I had one friend at one job who sometimes I would run like stupid ideas by her uh because like but like she had agreed to that. She had agreed to like hear the stupid idea so I could get it out of my head and so that she could remind me that's a real dumb idea. Don't do that. But um this is different yeah and yeah um and again they're children they don't they're they don't realize what they're doing and what they're putting on each other when they do it um but yeah it's it's a lot to put on cassie especially because everyone puts that on cassie yeah everyone expects cassie to be the moral one to know what's right and wrong yeah i had a comment uh uh, earlier up in the thing um where Rachel was like resenting Jake for calling her dumb for diving into the truck too fast and she's mm-hmm. like he's the leader and um it's annoying and I, I was just like 
I had a moment of just feeling bad for him because like he gets this burden of leadership that Mm -hmm. he never asked for or wanted and just all of these kids they're kids they are 13 years old jay's not here but please imagine them yelling they're children (laughs) (sighs) uh but yeah so rachel rachel kind of is like all right look maybe it is a drug but you know what this is war uh if we're successful if the andalites send help the whole point is to try and destroy every york on planet Earth, right? That's our goal. This isn't like some normal war where you can hope to make peace and compromise. We can't compromise. The Yurks are parasites. How would we compromise? Um, and Axe is like, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't ever compromise anyway. Um, and Tobias still is not convinced. He says, so we try and feed them addictive drugs. Um, and I think, uh, Tobias's, kind of outlook here makes me wonder about his own experience with addiction. Mm -hmm. We know that his uncle, uh, is an alcoholic. Um, and he had to deal with that in a very real way. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, um, in, in the way that a child will learn how to exist around an alcoholic parent. Um, you know, in that traumatic, oh, well, I need to make sure I do this and this behavior so they don't go off. Or, you know, I need to steal some money so that I can buy some groceries or whatever. Right. Um, and it makes me think that. And uh, even though he's 13, it makes me think of, like, did did he have... Because he was the kind of loner outside kid that I could imagine getting sucked up into some kind of uh yeah uh, i think addiction yeah i think if he had been like a high schooler yeah he probably would have like he definitely probably would have if he had been a high schooler mm-hmm. but like in middle school like you really have to go looking to find that sort of thing and like mm-hmm. device was always a loner, so he wouldn't have gone looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if he, if he, if he, had, if if all of our animorphs had been like sixteen, seventeen, I absolutely would say he's definitely doing, yeah, at least weed, probably other things as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, then Jake makes a weird. Well, first he brings up Tom. Because, of course, he's going to bring up Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, I have to ask myself, if it were Tom, and it may be Tom in the end, would I do this to him? On the one hand, life as a slave of a yerk. No free will at all. On the other hand, as we saw with Mr. Edelman, some free will, some ability to communicate, but with this insane yerk in your brain. And no possibility of ever getting it totally out. And Jake doesn't mention that bit explicitly, but um, yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, it's it's weighing heavy on him. <laughs> then he makes this weird comparison to the Civil War. No, thank you. And yeah, I'm I'm mm, yeah. He goes on like most of the Southern soldiers uh 
weren't slave owners. And it's like, mm, all right, mm. but like, yeah, no, yeah. I know, I know you're you're a white kid in the nineties, but no, yeah, no, um. Yeah, and, but he's basically making the comparison is like, well, maybe the war could have ended sooner if the North had agreed to make a compromise. Um, and he says, well, but that wouldn't have been right. We had the war had to go on until everyone was free. Um, and Tobias says, or dead. Um, which calls back to the hork who we know mm-hmm. that T- Tobias has a slightly better relationship with than any of the rest of the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tobias says, okay, that's a pretty good example. You're right. I hate it, but you're right. We have to win. Um, I laughed without any humor at all. I'm pretty gung-ho. Unlike Cassie, unlike Tobias, perhaps, I'm ruthless at times. But even I have enough sense to know the words, we have to win, are the first four steps on the road to hell. And I noticed that Jake never answered himself about his brother. Would Tom be getting the magic oatmeal slipped into his breakfast? Not a chance. Jake still hoped to rescue Tom someday. And from what what Edelman had said, there was no rescue from an oatmeal-altered yerk. Which, uh, woof. Yep. Um. Marco wonders, like, how are we gonna do this and rachel says uh what everyone kind of what everyone else has kind of already figured out they have to go back to the yerk pool and here rachel talks about how she has nightmares about the yerk pool which you know sensible it is a nightmare place yep and she specifically has a nightmare where she is uh, a controller and they are just dragging her over to get a yerk in her head and she can't do anything because she's not strong enough to fight to hork and then she's got a yerk in her head and like you can't fight a yerk in your brain right and um, um There's this bit at the end. I am yanked, gasping up from the pool. I try to grab my ear, but my arm no longer works. I try to yell, but my mouth is not mine anymore. So I scream. In some dark, lonely corner of my own brain, I scream. And the yerk chuckles as it opens my memories and reads my life. And I give way to despair. Mm -hmm. It's... I think this dream is extremely uh, illustrative of the things that Rachel fears most. Um, Because, and it's not just like the fact of becoming a controller. It's the powerlessness of it. Um, We get at the, at the beginning of the dream, um, she hates the sound of the human hosts held in the cages, um, hates their despair. It makes her mad. She wants to yell, why don't you fight? Why don't you fight? And then she's the one 
who is uh, uh, subjected to this, dragged down the pier. Knowing I am doomed and feeling the despair and hating that feeling inside of me. The thing Rachel hates more than anything is feeling helpless. Uh, she gets mad at people who give up because she is so terrified of it happening to her. Um, and we see this, uh, like with this context, everything else in the book makes a little more sense. Like the reason why she is so angry at people who attempt suicide why she's so angry at um the the uh idea of people being trapped inside their own head with a fucking insane yerk um and why she's so angry at the people who get infested and who aren't fighting and um all this other sort of thing she's so angry because she's so afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, and she doesn't understand. Uh, well, she, she doesn't understand why someone wouldn't fight. And even at the same time knows that on some level they can't fight. And the idea of being in that position is so terrifying that she can't handle it and instead turns to rage. Because rage is protective. Rage is uh, a safe feeling. It makes you feel like you can do things even if you can't. Um, and actually this uh, makes me think of something that I didn't think about the first time but it's very illustrative of like Rachel's position in life mm -hmm. like she's a pretty uh white blonde girl her mom is a lawyer like her family has money and like she can do like all of those things and mm -hmm. so like she uh up until like this whole oh sorry I just bumped my thing but um uh, up until, like, this whole war, she never had the experience of, uh, you know, not being able to fight, of being helpless. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, you know, me, I'm, I'm black. And, like, one of the things you learn is, like, sometimes the best way to stay safe and stay alive is to not fight, and even if you are right, even if, you know, things should be going differently, like, that's the safest thing. And it's not an experience she's ever had. And, like, mm -hmm. on the one hand, I don't blame her for not wanting to be in that place because fuck it sucks. But, like, the thing. Yeah, it's also a very privileged place to be coming from.